I can't work like this. I had a nightmare, it wasn't scary. I got my nightlife, I got my soul. You got your best ball, your hairy carry. Hey, I got my skeleton, I got my skull. I got this feeling, I better get away. No time for slowing down. Gotta leave this town, no wasps. No, no. Hello, and welcome to episode one of The Road to Nerfdom. I'm your host, Mike, and with me is. Another host, Chris. Hello, everyone. So, what is the road to nerfdom exactly? Well, we're here to talk about how our country is on the road to nerfdom. What does that mean? What is nerfdom? I think the road to nerfdom, I think nerfdom in general is that we're just getting too comfortable. We're becoming soft. Yeah. And we're choosing a life of comfort in which the government takes control of our decisions and our responsibilities instead of us. Takes care of us, for us. It's almost like, you know, we're children at the beginning of our lives, and we have our parents, if you're lucky. You have your parents to take care of you, to, right. to tell you, to teach you. You know, sometimes they tell you what to think and what to believe. And right. now that we're adults, we're supposed to let the government do that for us. It's almost like we're not even growing up. Right. Now, we, we take this from a, a book called The Road to Serfdom, written by a famous economist known as F.A. Hayek. Um, depending on your uh, circle of you know economic intellectuals, F. A. Hayek may not be popular. He's an Austrian economist, correct? Right. The Austrian School of Economics is associated with the free market, capitalism, as some people call it. Gold standard. The gold standard. You know that's important too. Something to touch on. Um, but you know, in his book, The Road to Serfdom, what would you say is the general premise? Of I would that? say the general premise would be. Hayek was warning about governments using wartime authority and controls to dictate what the economy does and to take that model and institute it in peacetime. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the book came out around World War One or World War Two. World War Two, I want to say 1944. Yeah. Wow. And it's and it's so true too. If you if you look back at history, it's like wartime um, is used as a time to. Basically grow the government, correct? Right. And, you know, you could say, make an argument, rightfully so. Like, we need that in, in those dire times where people are fighting and dying and all that stuff. But the, the idea that, you know, we let the government grow in these uh, times of emergency, urgency, whatever, and it never shrinks back. It right. just keeps growing. Exactly. So when, it you know, then you have peacetime and the government's bigger. You know, one thing that I you can observe, too, as far as government growth you know, ever since World War One, right. then you had World War Two. Well, since then, you know, our military has basically been fighting war, fighting wars all yeah, over per- perpetually. Yeah, yeah. and right. I, I would say that has everything to do with the fact that you know the government grows its power during wartime, and then afterwards, right. that power stays there. And what do we get? We get more wars. You know, we get more bigger debt. empire, more debt, right? More inflation. We have so many problems. Chris, what's the deal? I mean, well, Hayek's point was that um, it was interesting that the central powers that were defeated after World War I, all the allies actually adopted their economic policies. (laughs) (laughs) And then after World War II, we ended up up adopting a lot of those policies as well. So it was very strange. It is very strange. So, like, we defeated, we defeated, you know, Germany, the Third Reich, imperialist Japan, fascist Italy... And we ended up taking we ended up taking some of their I guess economic policies out of their books. So it's almost it's almost like we're taught that we fought these bad guys to stop them from doing bad things. But really, when you look at history, it looks more like oh, we just didn't want them getting in on our turf. Like we wanted <laughs> we wanted to be the superpower doing A those things. A little bit, right? You know, right. It's interesting to me the uh, the interplay between politicians government bureaucracies and what their aims are you know versus what the citizens think right those aims are i think there's always been a disconnect between you know a politician's going to sell you this bill or what have you they're going to sell you intentions right the results are always so far away from what the intentions were supposed right. to be and honestly it's i think it's much smarter to 
assume that the politician was lying to you. Not that they were truly trying to help and it just gets screwed right. up every time. Like, I think the politicians, they're lying to you for their own political careers. Well, think I, this is the way I look at it. I think about, I think that anybody that believes there should be bigger government involved in our lives, they're looking for any opportunity possible to institute that. So it could be a promise of free health care. could be immigration policy. I think, and the more... I guess the more pertinent the issue, the bigger, you know, a push there's going to be. So like the September 11th, that was a big thing. That was an opportunity for people to say, hey, we need more security measures. We need more government in our lives, less privacy. The climate change now is, is, the, is the big thing too. Well, so yeah, I think the Green New Deal, yes. it's, not about, it's not about the environment. Oh, the Green New Deal. You it's not said about the, the environment. Those three magic words that are floating around the political sphere right. these days recently. You know, that's I didn't want to jump into the Green New Deal just yet, but since you brought it up. I mean I did I just I did want to point out that it's it's very sad that in our um national politics, well I guess it's you know, everywhere it's it's always Democrat and Republican, you know, the third party right. is uh it's a wasted vote or what have you. Both parties want to grow government for different reasons. Or at least right. that's why they're you know, voter bases one, are voting. I feel like one, one seems to be military, foreign intervention. The other one is domestic intervention. I never understood that. Hmm. Never understood that. One wants bigger government at home, but they don't want our government messing with other governments abroad. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's that that seems like a t- too, too much of a reductionist or binary thing, but I get what you're saying, and it's, yeah, it's like yeah. it makes a lot of sense. You know, well, I would say that to put it simply, you know, people on the right want bigger government to, like you said, uh, kind of for us to be more powerful around the world. Right. We're going to go fight wars. We're going to end terrorism. We're going to, you know, be great again. Like, you know, if, yeah. you, if you reference, you know, the most recent political campaign of president. Right. But uh, meanwhile, the the left or the liberals or whatever you want to call them, well, they essentially want socialism. But yeah, they want to grow government. Um, they want to grow the welfare state, but it's actually worse than that because I'm not against a welfare state. So necessarily, I think that I think that it's good for social safety nets to exist to so people, you know, it's just obvious why you know some people um, need that to help them along. It's obviously not a good thing for someone to be dependent throughout their life right. on that kind of assistance. The idea is you want a system that helps people when they need it, and then they're able to help themselves from there. Right. Um, but instead of just having a welfare state, you have people clamoring to combat the evils of capitalism, which I think is a completely different issue. And when you get those two things mixed up, right. you have a bunch of people that they just don't know what the hell they're talking about when they call for things like democratic socialism. You know, when Bernie Sanders is up on a podium right. and, and he reduces capitalism to how many brands of deodorant you have to choose from at the store. It's like, oh, come on. Like, it's that. Yeah, it's it's about deodorant. I mean, it's about all innovations. It's about all the choices that we may or may not have when it comes to meeting our needs you know, on a daily basis. Um, you know, that brings me to democratic socialism before I get into the Green New Deal. Okay. The two are very much interconnected right. just as far as people's ideologies go. Well, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, I'll call her from now on. Cause yeah, that's much easier. That's like 10 syllables. I, I'm not doing that every time. They call her AOC. It's cool. It's short. She's a democratic socialist. Kind of, you know, definitely right. in the same boat as Bernie Sanders. She's kind of riding those coattails. All these young people, they hear free college, free health care. Um, let's soak the rich because they got too much and we got too little. Same sentiments. And she's pushing forward this Green New Deal. I just want to point out that democratic socialism is not what people think it is. What do you think when I say democratic socialism? Well, I, I, I studied economics, so I know better right off the bat. <laughs> you studied <laughs> economics, so you've never heard it before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, we, we never, it's a, it's a political term. Well, honestly, I, I don't even know what that means. I didn't even what, hear I, the term. What does it even mean? I didn't hear it until 2015 when Bernie Sanders was winning over many young hearts. Um, I think they just threw democratic in front of it to make it sound popular. To make it sound better than straight socialism. Marketable, because, yeah. Well, obviously, we see all these 
negative examples of socialism slash communism. So in order to soften that, we're going to sell it right. to you with putting democratic in front of it. Or market socialism. That's another one, too. That might be an older term. Uh, what is market socialism? Market socialism, that's like where we don't have that in this country, but that would be like certain everyday goods are just like subsidized. Goods and services or goods and services. Certain ones certain are subsidized. Ones, yeah. We don't have that here. I can't, we don't? No, we don't have that. We have... Um, I would say we have plenty of subsidized things. Subsidized well, industries that a subsidized market would be like sugar. We subsidize sugar, or rather, I'm sorry, corn. Yeah, we have Huge like we have uh, fossil fuel subsidies too. I think it's like 268 million a year subsidies. Well, may I offer this definition that I found by Googling the term democratic socialism? And All right, let's see. I'm just going to jump into it. Democratic socialism is a political philosophy that advocates political democracy alongside social ownership of the means of production with an emphasis on self-management and democratic management of economic institutions within a market or some form of decentralized planned socialist economy. I think it lost me at decentralized planned socialist economy is that not an oxymoron this, yeah, this this whole thing so jesus that makes absolutely no sense to me i think that all i can say at this point is they have a new generation of voters who believe the federal government has all the power of the old testament god and the only thing standing in the way of our salvation are the one percent who hoard wealth and are proof that capitalism does not serve the masses jesus that seems to be the narrative but this is like decentralized planned socialist economy. At what point do you <laughs> how do you inter- how do you marry the concepts of decentralization and central planning? <laughs> create a create a central bank and give it twelve different offices and say that it's fine. <laughs> yeah, but they're still like they're still part of a hierarchy right. that That's has. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You know. Um, Okay, so people have been for a while that they defend this idea of democratic socialism by saying it's the Nordic model, that this is what they do in the Nordic states. Um, Finland, Norway, Sweden, what have you. I did a little bit of research, just a little bit of research, which most people don't do. And I found out that that's not, these these countries don't have uh, like nationalized ownership. Like, Right. They have privately owned companies. They have right. capitalism. They have robust capitalist economies. And they do tax those like right. endeavors. They use that money to have the written, you know, the comprehensive welfare states that they have. Right. This is not socialism at all. Right. It's just heavy taxes. But they need, you know, they need to have a free market economy that can make as much money as it can in order to subsidize things. In order to tax it, right. like the gov- a government, any government, I don't care. Like they don't produce anything; they can only take it from people who right. produce. So it's almost like I think y- those Scandinavian countries. I think that's like a misunderstanding. Those are just they just have heavy subsidies. That's not a planned economy. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, and it's yeah. not even. I wouldn't even use the word subsidies. Um, it's just. They have huge social safety nets. They have right. a lot of welfare, like taxes. the healthcare and stuff. I mean, for starters, these countries are, they're small. They have low population densities. They, their populations are much much lower than, you know, that of the entire United States. Right. And they're sure. nice. They're safe. They're well-developed. They never, they never pick an area or region where the countries are, aren't well-developed and it's not safe. <laughs> it's not clean. They never pick that. They always. But, <laughs> but my point is, is that these countries are in, you know, you ask... You ask these people today that are democratic socialists, they point to these countries as the poster children of of their ideas, yeah. their ideology, and it's not even accurate. It's not accurate well, to say that. It's like... Even if it was, I mean, you're talking about a handful of small countries. I don't even know if they have 10 million people combined between them. I don't no. think they do either. I'm not... Yeah. To me, you would need more evidence than just a handful of countries in the same area. Even if you do, even if they did have a point, that's part of the road to nerf them. Is just don't question anything. If it sounds good, just go with it. Just go with the flow. Yeah, I mean, go ult- with the crowd. Ultimately, people they're not really doing their thinking for themselves, and they're not coming up with their own ideas, which is why you know I really want to focus on this this concept of do you have ideas or do ideas have you? Ooh. 
And this isn't really something catchy that I came up with. It's actually based off of something I've heard um, quoted Carl Jung, right. you know, the psychologist, psychiatrist. Right. I don't know his official title. The Swiss. He's, is he, was he Swiss? Yeah, Swiss, Carl Swiss, Jung, I think, Swiss. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's, he, he once said that idea, or people don't have ideas, ideas have people. And if you really meditate on that, that that's kind of profound. Yeah. Because it, it's almost, it almost sets the stage for looking at the world in terms of good versus evil. The, 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 you know, instead of ideas being like kind of equal or, or ideas even, even the idea of, even the idea of new ideas popping right. up here and there to guide us, you know, in our civilization, it's really just a bunch of old ideas or actually a few old ideas that just keep getting recycled right. and, you yeah. know, they get recycled over and over again with new words, new terms to distract us from the fact that this is right. just, you know, at the end of the day, it's basically authoritarianism versus right. freedom. <sighs> and when you really break it down, I mean, it was kind of a leap. I didn't, like, right. systematically break it down for you. Right. But if if you look at, you know, do we want to live in a nerfed up world where we don't have to think for ourselves, we don't even have to work. The government's going to send us money. Um, everything's taken care of, but like, I think what happens is people who do live in these types of societies, they find that <laughs> they find that what they're getting in that deal is right. pretty low quality. And the only reason that like people have true wealth in their lives, uh, quality wealth, you know, quality goods and services coming to them, is because you know someone makes it a point to make sure that stuff's working, that that stuff's good. Right, if we all true. just sit back and expect it to come, or that if we trust some, right, you know, if we trust a government to do it, we're gonna get, we're gonna be disappointed. If we're even awake to realize that right. that's why things aren't working. See, right. I'm not in that mindset. I my my alarms start going off if somebody wants to do something nice for me, let alone <laughs> let yeah, alone be, the government. Be worried of anyone yeah. who wants to give you something a favor, for nothing, yeah, especially yeah. a stranger who don't yeah. know you. Yeah, and then you have the government with all that power. You know, power I, to tax. Even if my own father called me up today and said, "Hey, I want to take you to lunch," I'd be thinking, "What's this about? <laughs> yeah, what did I do?" And I'm just what saying, did they find out? I'll just be think. I'll go, but I'll just be thinking, like, I wonder what this is about. What's yeah. he about to tell me? Yeah, there's something else going on here. Yeah, ulterior motive. Not that he wants something from me for it, but yeah, and there is no free lunch though. That's true. Yeah, right. That's what. That's the old saying. A lot of people gawk at it. I don't know why. It's true though. You know, governments are incapable of producing the things that they want to promise to people. So instead of like railing against capitalism, right. we should be we should be invested in it. No pun intended. Well, this is this is the thing. I think a lot of people they misinterpret greed and breaking the law from they conflate that with capitalism. Yeah, like I would say that criminality and greed are part of the human condition. It's it's part right. of a bedrock that's there no matter what system you're part of. Right. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, if you look at the USSR, there was definitely greed, where oh, greed yeah. and power lust, you know, and that's why. Right. So you didn't get rid of greed when you got rid of capitalism, yeah. you know? That's a good example. And what, and maybe it took a long time for a lot of people to realize, although I'd say most mainstream economists are still in denial of this, is that when you removed all capitalist activity, all free market activity, um, you lost a lot of production. You lost the goods and services. You right. lost food, and people starved to death. Like right. you were mu you were mucking around with this very delicate system, and it's kind of like an ecosystem. That's that's the main point of a decentralized economy. Right. It's like it's like a forest. Like there's no top down, uh, you know, order. It's more bottom up order, right. where every you know every actor is a node in a network. And everything comes together. It's it's a spontaneous order. No human being is capable of, yeah, making that work with their own the power of their own mind. Like it, yeah, centrally planned economy. You know they yeah. they all suffer. And it's funny because in the U.S., you know, we definitely have a lot of problems, and right. you hear about it all the time. These problems that we have, and we need to solve them. We need to solve them fast, which is actually dangerous to have in mind because then you're willing to take on legislation that right. isn't 
you know, optimal for well, solving the, these problems. Because the, the sad part for me that's very disappointing to hear is that a lot of the solutions I'm hearing, a lot of the antidote to these problems is what caused the problems in the first place. <laughs> that's what I, I don't understand. Yeah, spending. We're going to spend our way out. I don't know any person, family, business that can spend their way out of debt. No, it makes no sense. Yeah. It's like yeah. it's like trying to dig a hole through the earth to come out the other side. Well, I think actually what's happened, well, I think at least in the government's case, they're just inflating the currency to reduce the debt. You see where I'm going with this? Well, yeah, I've heard that the Fed is, um, they're more, they're at this moment, I guess, according to what they're saying, you know, they're they're more towards accepting a little more inflation. They've been trying to keep inflation down, correct? <laughs> Am I correct? Do you, yeah, you're I looking at me I can't help but like... laugh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, me maybe this, this like, year, oh maybe my. this year they're trying to keep inflation down, but they it's haven't also been doing all a good talk, job. Yeah. yeah, it's talk, and I, I, it beats me if they even know what they're doing. Oh, they know what they're doing. Are you sure? <laughs> oh, they know what they're doing. You know, doing. people talk about conspiracies like, oh, it's the Illuminati controlling the world, and this is all planned. And part of me thinks like, or maybe this is just like evidence that they don't know what they're doing, no, and they're they effing they're up doing. left and right. They know what they're doing. Yeah, you know, Alan Greenspan wrote an article about how gold. Is very valuable. He wrote it in 1966. Mm-hmm. He was an advocate for the gold standard. Then was he? Oh yeah. Yeah, and then he became the he became chairman of the Fed. Yeah. And then did all this inflation, and arguably created the 08 Well, the crisis. funny the funny thing about what you're describing is, you know, what could have he what could he have done in the Fed, other than shutting it down <laughs> to have helped in the gold Don't standard? Don't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he should have just been like. All right, I'm in charge of the Fed now. Let's end it. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been the right move. Otherwise, it's like you're talking about someone, you know, it's like, oh, well, now I'm chairman of the Fed. Whatever I do in this job is going to go completely against, you know, right, <laughs> what right. the gold standard is supposed to be or whatever. Right. You know, gold is very valuable. Anyone who tries to tell you not, like, you got to question where they're coming from. And if you're listening and you don't know... um, I don't think we're going to touch on it today or right. in the future. We definitely will because it's very important. But to have money backed by nothing, I mean, if it's ba- what is it? If it's backed by nothing, I guess technically what it is backed by is good faith, right? Yeah, faith that we're not going to screw everything up completely and just <laughs> go off the right. cliff. Faith. That's the only reason our money is worth anything. Um, I don't know why. Why do people? It's almost like the same people who gawk at the idea of a gold standard, they don't get it, and they think it's just more capitalist, like, BS. Oh, that's just, you know, yeah. what are you, a libertarian? You idiot. Well, <laughs> I think, I mean, it's the idea, like, I think that the idea that the U.S., U.S. is the world's reserve currency, right? We're seen yes. as the wealthiest nation, and that's why the, the dollar has value, is because we're interpreted... We're, we're, it's, this is supposed to be a place of prosperity. And that's so it's, it's almost like the dollar is backed by our overall production as an economy. Yeah. And correct? the perception, too. Yeah. And which is we're funny. It's, what a, is perception? A, I mean, it's almost like. idea of what this is. It's like when you hear about the stock market rallying, it's just a bunch of people feeling good that day. Yeah, spending money. Yeah, they're, yeah. It, it, that's what it is. It's it's them feeling good that day. Yeah, and then when it like when things go down, it's they like feel stingy. Then they feel yeah, yeah it's, too risky. This is all speculative, you know. Right. Um, it has real world implications, but when you think of it that way, though, you kind of realize, you know, maybe you shouldn't believe everything that you hear that's supposed to right. make you feel one way or the other about what our economy is or what it's doing these right. days. Now we kind of go off on a tangent about gold. But back to, back to the Green New Deal, democratic oh, yeah. socialism. What the hell is the Green New Deal? Have you looked into it? At I, all? I can't. I don't see a bill. I don't see any details. I don't see a tax plan laid out. Well, I also don't know, understand. It's supposed to be not only for climate change, but it's supposed to do something with income inequality. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, and I don't understand how Social you can combine those two. Oh, well. Oh well, they com- they combine everything in 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 that that realm of thinking. Th- everything it's it's called intersectionality, Chris. Okay. Everything's combined, which it isn't. But they like to make it because then you know they reach a bigger audience that way. Right. You know, bigger buzz. Yeah, I'm not just for helping the poor. I'm for helping black people too, and I'm not just help for helping those people. I'm for helping women too. 
And oh, I'm for helping gay people. Okay. And I'm for helping and trans people. And the environment. And the environment. And I'm, amphibians. Because all these things are, you know, they they're, they right. live in the world of what's been victimized in our society. They're all the okay. same, therefore. All right. Doesn't make sense, though. I mean, they're not. These aren't, you know. Right. We're only, like, we're, we're categorizing them as being part of this same category. It's It's just a mental exercise, you know. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. That they should intersect. Yeah. I mean, I think that on individuals, on the basis of individuals and their stories, there is intersectionality about, um, you know, victims of society and or marginalized groups. Yeah. But it, to bring it into like this grand scheme of a narrative that we're supposed to put into legislation, yeah. that's supposed to save the world. I'm. I mean, you're just talking about. I don't know. You're mixing the rules of two different games. Right. It's it's just strange. It's like if we were playing chess and I jumped one of your pieces like we were playing checkers. It's like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. <laughs> King me. <laughs> well, I I wanted to give my own quick thoughts about the Green New Deal. Yeah, man. To me, it. seems like nothing but populist rhetoric, which is funny because a lot of people say that Trump's a populist, but how is his form of populism any different from this democratic social and Socialism form of populism. I do believe it's these politicians are just responding to what they know the crowd wants to hear. Right. Is that not the definition of populism? Right. This is about my popularity. It has nothing to do with my principles. Okay. Okay. Um, it's the perfect sy- synthesis of anti-capitalist sentiment and environmentalist virtue signaling and intersectional social justice. As a result of this, it provides a loosely defined framework for achieving questionable results. Okay, they're questionable because they remain largely vague. Yeah, I don't. I, did, I could not find any details on anything. I mean, I guess... Because I want to see how this is going to get paid for. I want to see what kind of crazy formula... To pay was it, for was it. Was it supposed to be 70%? Is that what she said? 70% what? Taxing on the rich? Isn't that what that, that AOC said? That has been coming up. And that has... Yeah, that has been coming up. That we want to jack up the income tax or whatever it is. I don't know if it's... Is it on businesses? Oh, I man. believe it's on the corporations, yeah. Is that on top of the other taxes? So it's going to be like 95%, 90%? Well, you know, it, it, you, it may be. Um, a lot of people who are in favor of this point out that back in the day, uh, after World War II, I don't know if it happened before the end of World War II, there, was, there were tax rates about that high. Believe really? it or not, on the on the richest people in the country... Tax rates got up to like in ninety some. They got up there, really? but from what I've heard, um, or from what I've researched, the reality of it was there was tons of loopholes and deductions okay. that allowed it, so no one had to actually pay that crazy amount of money, right, of their earnings. Wow. Um, so, but the, but people who support that this now they point at that and be like, "Look, we did it then, and it worked." And it's like no one was no one was actually paying those, right? Those taxes, you know what I mean? Right. They were they were paying taxes. They were paying a lot, but not that much. Like they got around it. And you know what? Whether or not the loopholes and deductions actually exist on paper, people with that kind of money, they're gonna hide their their money. Right? They can hire. They're the gonna best, figure out how they to, can hire the best tax attorneys and accountants to get around it. Oh, fuck! They just put their money in uh, Panama or what have you. I don't know Puerto Rico even. Like, Peter Schiff's in Puerto Rico now, so he can, like, avoid crazy taxes, you yeah. know, or whatever. He, uh, have you heard of the Laffer Curve? I believe that's what it is. No. I mean, what happens is the more taxes that a government tries to impose, essentially, the, the less the revenue. They lose, the less the revenue less they get. Revenue. Yeah, because it's almost like, keep, if you're, if you're going to try to soak the rich like this, try to keep the, the percentage at a reasonable place right. and they'll probably just pay it. Right. But if you're trying to basically screw them, right. They're going to say screw you. They'll leave, yeah. And you know most people if you most people who are for these types of uh things in government high taxes on the rich and whatnot, you know, they think good because screw these people. They're hoarding the wealth. But you know what? Whether or not they are like they have the right to do what they want with what they've earned. Um, I know most people like to think that it's earned dishonestly, but 
I'm only ever hearing the same examples brought up over and over again, which tells me that there's a few bad apples, but for the most part, people earn their money in pretty honest ways. Right. It says nothing about who they are as a person. Like, maybe they're a jerk, but they didn't steal that money. You know what I'm saying? And they they got that money by providing a good or service uh, to a massive scale, ultimately making lives better for the consumers who participate in that. And, you know, but... That's part of the ideology. The rich are bad for being rich. And we're not rich, right? We're, we're both pretty poor. I mean, as of right now, as you're listening to this, Chris and I are, you know, in the bottom tax bracket. Let's put it this way. <laughs> I don't know if we have a net worth of five grand combined between us. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So, And yet, I, I, and I don't understand this, like, hate for the rich. You know, I understand envy. And I understand greed because I'm a human being. Right. But, you know, I don't hate the person who started Walmart. Because they have something. (laughs) Because they have something. Because they have so much. Yeah. The truth is they do a lot with the money that they have. They donate a lot of it. And some of the the most successful capitalists of our time that are alive today do a lot of philanthropic work. Right. Bill Gates, you know. um, I was going to say Warren Buffett, but now that I think about it, I don't know if he... I'm sure he does. Because he's one of those virtue-signaling billionaires who's right. like, yeah, I'm a billionaire, and I believe I should be taxed a lot. Oh, yeah. Is that Warren Buffett? Maybe I'm thinking Yeah, he said he, des- he said that he would pay the higher taxes. Honestly, right? I think he's just like out there building a brand as Warren Buffett. You know what I mean? These, yeah. these famous billionaires where it's like, that's what Trump was before he became president. You know what I mean? He was right. just like, who the hell was Donald Trump? Oh, he's a billionaire real estate developer. It's like, why do we care about him? Oh, we like him. He's funny. He's on TV. He does cameos on sitcoms and this right. and that. Yeah. And <laughs> fast forward to now, it's like... He's the most hated person in the world. I don't know about the whole world. Maybe just our world. I'm really interested to see, you know, the people who voted for him initially, how they feel about it now. Um, My father's one of those people. I don't know how much he actually supported him, because I do know for a fact he never would have voted for Hillary Clinton. Right. (laughs) Like, never would have voted for Hillary Clinton. That's my dad. I'm I'm not here saying, talking, you know, smack about her. I could, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm just pointing that out. I'm interested in t- having a discussion with him, see what he thinks, right. you know, about how is it going so far. What do you think, Dad? You know, would you vote for him again? I mean, he's more of a realistic kind of voter. He'll pick one or the other. And I shouldn't put it that way because he's never voted for a Democrat. <laughs> but he's not going to vote for a third party, like most of the people. You know what I mean? Like, right. they laugh at the idea of voting for a third party. I'm not like that. Like, I'm, I didn't vote. I mean, I think voting is more important in local elections. Yeah, I could see local elections. I saw no reason to leave my house that day. Right. Well, I went to work, but... <laughs> I mean, yeah, when you put so much faith into somebody, you're never going to meet someone that's on one side of the country. <laughs> you know, I, I don't understand. How, no how, how is that going to change your life? You know, I you always hear people be like... um, well, he's the most powerful person in the world now. Or or I've, I've heard like Joe Rogan, among others, say like, well, we shouldn't have a president. It's a ridiculous position for there to be. And I can't help but think like, well, wait a minute. Back when we started this country, well, not we. Right. <laughs> I don't have any real, I don't have any uh, right. ancestors that go that far back right. in this country. Nor we come from I. immigrants. But when this country was started, the founding fathers set up the checks and balances like president wasn't that important it it was just another branch right uh it's almost like we have a tendency as human beings as a society to like right make someone a monarch like we want a figurehead well even if he did have a lot of power what about all the people in congress this is like 465 members of congress if they're no good what difference does it make yeah and if we're being honest here too um the executive branch of government Hat is one of those branches of government that grew yeah. over the years. Like over the past right. hundred years, the, the types of powers that it has. Executive are, orders and all that. Well, just and, and different, like whenever there's a new like uh, department created for whatever. Oh, yeah, Homeland Security. Or what, DEA? When um, was that? Well, that was the, the war on drugs, probably? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, just all these, I mean, there's a bunch. I mean, right. like EPA. Oh, uh, you know, whether or not you're for environmentalism doesn't mean you 
shouldn't question the actions of the EPA. Right. You know, it's one of those things that just drives me crazy is that people, they think that they just trust the government to take care of it without any scrutiny. Like, oh, the government doesn't need to be audited in any sense. Ooh. We'll vote the right people in it and they're going to create these departments that are going to address these problems. Right. And we'll just let that play out while we watch football. Like, we don't need to, right. we don't need to scrutinize it at all. And it's like obviously you need to. These are just human beings. They're not. They're not angels or super people. They need to be held accountable, like for anything. And when a bill gets passed and it's a thousand pages long, and it's supposed to address environmental issues, and there's something in there about right. universal basic income. I don't know, <laughs> just right. like this Green New Deal or whatever it is. Right. Um, you got to question that stuff. People don't want to question it. They trust the government to take care of everything. As if there's just direct lines. There's between. someone else working on it. Yeah, someone, someone else, else thinking working about it. it. And they're an expert. So we got to trust them no matter what. Meanwhile, and this is a cognitive dissonance. Meanwhile, they believe in someone in government's ability to be unbiased and uncorrupted. Oh, but geez. we can't trust anything that smacks of a capitalist system because of the greed and the corruption. I think you're, you're onto something. I think people take for granted that, you know. That people in academics know what they're talking about, that they're qualified, that people running for politics are qualified. Yeah, like they're that's, immaculate. That's, that's um, untouchable. That's just not the reality. You know, there's a lot of unqualified people out there in the workforce, no matter what it is, but yeah. I forget who I heard this say. It might have been Thomas Sowell. I was listening to him speak recently, and um, something about how... <laughs> You know, you could read a book on the basics of economics, like Henry Hans- Hazlitt's yeah. Economics of One Lesson, and know more about economics than the last Nobel Prize winning economist. Because it's such a... It, it, when you go into like the academic sphere of the study of economics, it, it's right. full of ideologies, you know? Yeah. And beliefs that, depending on what they are, they, they either have or haven't been disproven by an honest look at history. Right. You know, that... Well, I I studied economics in school, and I wouldn't call myself an economist, first of all, because I haven't, you know, I've never been hired anywhere as an economist. And I also feel like after all the economists that I've read and studied, I mean, there's some true geniuses there, and I don't want to put myself in the same tier as them, because there's no way... You know, like von Mises was obviously a genius by far. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't have the capability to kind of add that to the field. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I, you know, so I don't call myself an economist. I just say I'm interested in economics. I mean, you do have a, a bachelor's in economics. I do. Though. Yes, I so do. So you're a little bit more qualified than some. Well, yeah, that's the scary part. I know, <laughs> uh, I know people that have doctorate's degrees that are teaching in in religion in uh english and they have they i don't think they could pass an econ 101 course in in college they have no idea what they're talking about and i think one of the things for me there's so many people online they're commenting about how like the economic policy of our country should be and i got a question how many of these people actually have like they can't even manage their own money right you know how many of these people have credit card debt how many of these people have like bad credit? How many of these people have student loans, like hundred thousand dollars in student loans? So how can you how can you say how can you even comment on how a country with you know trillions of dollars floating around is supposed to spend their money when you can't even handle your own situation as an individual? I never understood that, and it seems like economics, like like if someone was on TV or someone gave an interview that was a neuroscientist or a brain surgeon. I couldn't really comment on what they're doing because I have no idea what they're talking about. I'm not qualified to really give my opinion. But for some reason, economics, even geopolitics, politics, it seems to be something everyone has an opinion, but barely anybody's qualified to really kind of push that opinion out there. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that there's way too many of the... uh the authoritarian figures or the uh, i'm sorry the authority figures in academic academics as far as economics right. goes right. too many of them are they're spewing bad right. bad information but because they're in that position of authority that gets disseminated like it's scientific fact well i think well i think a lot of people i don't think they've even taken an economics class like a lot of it's sad because i know a lot of professors that i've had and some of that i've also worked alongside they 
they don't have a background in economics, but boy, do they have an opinion on what, <laughs> you know, the economic policy should be. And usually, like, there's no point in arguing with them because they believe that they're right. There's no, like, there's really no point in me to get involved because I don't think that I could really sit down and objectively get them to even question what's going on. Yeah. And it's scary. It's scary. I mean, these people, there's one person in particular. There's a couple of people I know. They're about 40. They have PhDs. Yeah, their ideas yeah. have real consequences as far as policies go. Like, you know what I mean? It's not like they just have an opinion. That opinion's going to carry some weight, whether well, it comes the, to... The worst part is if it's if it's somebody, even if you don't teach economics, you're going to end up talking, especially like, you know, the political climate now, you're going to end up talking about stuff with your students, and these professors aren't going to be well-versed in this stuff at all. So you'll have religion teachers, literature teachers, talking about economics, politics, they have no idea what they're talking about. And they're just, mis- they're kind of, can, can mislead, you know, other people that have no background in economics. You know, I, I honestly, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, I honestly think at the root of so much of this is that Rousseauian concept, tabula rasa, that as human beings, we're born a clean slate, and all the maladies of the human condition gets put on there are products of society. Man. And this kind of stems, I'd say, like that concept gets uh, intertwined with Marxism and people who believe in the writings of Karl Marx. Uh, one, the best criticism I've ever heard of Marx came from Camille Paglia. Who said? And she's she's in academics. Right. Um. She's definitely a dissenting voice, which you don't hear enough of. Um. But she says, you know, Marxism is a great tool yeah. for analyzing certain things in society, but Marxism is completely void of any concepts of just nature. You know, nature right. being that that thing that was there before we had society, and it's still there, and it it. it it has power right. over this no matter what. It has no concept of nature. Everything is society. Everything is socialization. And that's just simply not true. And if we ignore the forces of nature, like right. then we're more susceptible to them. You know, we're more susceptible yeah. to you know, we turn a blind eye to these things and they're gonna come back and bite us in the rear. It's sad, man. It's just really sad. And I think <laughs> I feel like if I didn't study economics, if I would have studied something else. Like maybe, I think you'd be happier today. <laughs> no, no. I think that, well, the field of economics is weird because everyone has an opinion. Well, like you if know, you studied, like, look, if you studied biology and, like, someone else told you what you had to say was wrong and they knew they didn't, never took a biology class. There's plenty of people that do that in this country, you know, it's like the anti-vaxxers yeah, or, or people right. that want to claim that there's no biological difference between the sexes. People, okay. there's people out there. They're saying these things, and they fly directly in the face of decades of scientific research. Yeah, but I guess economics has more of a political connotation. Yeah, it, it's a virtue thing too. It's like if you if you're pro capitalism, you're you don't care about poor people, and you might, as far as you see it, they might as well just perish in their own stupidity. That's kind of like what it, like how when people criticize capitalism, it's like, well, there's no altruism there, and you're basically you're for the right. victimization of lo- the majority of the people on the planet. Like, oh wow, that sounds really bad. It sounds really evil. Right. But but I don't think it's true. Right. I'd, and and I think you know the worst, the biggest issues we've had with capitalism over the past hundred years have come from the federal government and state governments too with the help of the federal government uh getting in on the economy right. and mucking about with well, it we have a socialist we have socialist aspects of our economy oh like for, the banking for system time, yeah. and the credit system the monetary system and the credit system that's socialized and here's here's another question it has to do with the road to nerfdom it's kind of it's a very difficult question to ask a very difficult one to answer and it's that you know if someone does someone deserve freedom and liberty if they're not willing to question what's happening around them? Do they deserve it? That is a really good question. I've never heard that one. But I like I'm already cuz I feel like they 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 should deserve it, but it, you know, how if you're not questioning it, 
then You'll how are it. you making your own decisions? Do you even have it? Do you even have freedom? Well, you never get there if you don't. You, if you had freedom and you started to not question things, you'd lose it. Yeah. And if you didn't have it and you didn't question, you'd never get it. It's To me, it sounds like the struggle between thinking for yourself or letting bigger ideas dictate right. what you think. Because sometimes I think... I think when we talk about these things, I think you're more of an optimist. You have hope that that people can change their minds, people can question things. To an extent. I'm, right. I'm I'm more of a, a pessimist. I think there's already too much momentum. I think the pendulum is swinging in the wrong direction. I think that socialism is too popular. I think the academic system has been screwed up for way too long. And I think there's just no way. There's nothing. There's no amount of... Uh, there's nothing that we can do to change that. It's just like a shift in society and it can't be, you see what I'm saying? Well, here's where I'm optimistic and I think it's a pretty realistic, reasonable place um, to be optimistic. I don't believe in changing people's minds necessarily. Like I I do think that a lot of what people believe um, is based on their temperament as a person. Okay. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a myth that you can change someone's mind if you just showed them the, the right facts. Like, right. that's what everyone thinks about their stance, too. Like, oh, you're a capitalist? Well, you just don't know better. Or you believe in socialism? That's because you haven't read these facts that I know that refute that. The truth is, you could present someone with all the facts, they're still going to believe one way or another based on their temperament. Um, what I do think we can do, though, change people's minds about the role of government and about the role of politics. If we could, I mean, and this is just right now from square one, if we're going to make a change, if we could just convince people that we shouldn't be fighting so much, that we should be, that every solution should be middle of the road. You know what I'm saying? If we could convince people, and you know, this is great. I just read about this. And, you know, I'm going to kick myself here. I already forgot her name. But there was a woman just elected to Congress who's like a million times cooler than AOC. But we're all talking about AOC. But this other, um, oh man, I should look it up right now just so I could say it while we're while we're rolling here. But uh, she's like uh, ex Navy, you know. She's like a mother of four. She's a Democrat, and um, I believe her district's in New Jersey. And we're not talking about her, but she's a centrist. She's a centrist Democrat. And she won in a Republican territory. She right? did, yeah. She won in a Republican territory. Right. And so she's one of the reasons. Actually, it's funny if you look at if you look at it from a political science perspective. You know, she's one of the reasons that the House is Democrat now, which right. is obviously a victory for she anyone took over who, a Republican seat. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to AOC, that was already a Democrat. It was already Democrat. So really, if you look at it, it's like, yes, exactly. Right? So so this. This new congresswoman is way more important. I think there's way more potential there for some, you know, honest change, even if it is incremental, whatever. Um, and for some reason, we're focused on AOC because of the Green New Deal and this just vague idea of democratic it's a, it's, socialism. It's a news story, man. It's a yeah, news it's sensational, and that's that's another thing. That's that's part of this nerfdom we're headed to. Is you re, you know, I remember when I could read an article and kind of trust the information you don't even get information in you articles you get an opinion a couched in a well narrative one it's not even what it's not even written very well either yeah and then and then like you know you have a, a thousand different articles that are all for the same point of view and they all cite one source right as you know if if, if, if it was an idea with that uh had some real meat and potatoes to it you'd have plenty of sources to right. cite to corroborate it but no you've like people building these narratives based on shoddy data, you know, based on one shoddy research project by one guy or something like that. And it just gets disseminated. And the more it gets regurgitated through the news and articles and things like that, the more it seems we just accept it as the consensus. Oh, it's the consensus. Don't argue with it. Right. Can I ask you about objectivity? Because I think this is where we we differ a little bit. Because I think... From what I understand, I think you believe that we can, you can get people to question things. If you get people to question things, you know, they can change their minds, right? Yeah, potentially. I believe that there's not... I guess, I guess where I think maybe we differ is I believe that there's so many people out there that aren't willing to question anything. 
Like they're already completely they're already at the destination of nerfdom. Yeah. They just don't want to question anything. Like their brains are completely shut off. They're just like, "Ah, well." Well, that definitely seems to be the case with the most extreme people, right? It, and and um right. when you really analyze But I I guess I'm more specifically talking about people they don't really have a particular ideology. They might be on the fence. They really don't know what to believe. Like the lights on upstairs but no one's home. Kind of like they don't know what to believe. Like they so woke, because... but they haven't had their coffee yet. Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> they think they're woke. Well, but they haven't had their coffee yet. <laughs> or maybe they just don't know what to. They're think, not making sense, or they don't care. And because they don't know what to think, or well, they I think don't it's care, about a group identity. Question. I think it's a tribal thing where it's like because you can get on board with these things like movements, and you could become an activist and be more extreme with it than others, and that's an identity for you. And some people are, they're starved for that, so they latch onto it. And it's way more about this identity and the ideology of it than it is about any real results. And I think that's why a lot of them are as extreme as to say, let's burn it down and start over. So this is speculation, but if you had to guess our population... What percentage you think is like really entrenched in an ideology and they'll never leave it? Percentage wise, man. I mean, you'd have to define define ideology. Like how many? Let's put it this way. Um, because I know we've been throwing the word around a lot, so it's funny okay, that now say, I want to define say, it. Let's but. say people that. Um, how many people in this country you think have socialist ideals, whether or not they realize it or not, and they they won't budge? I'm about to say define socialism <laughs> because uh, because right. like I said earlier they want bigger they think they think they taxes. want socialism but really they want more welfare. There's a difference. You know what I'm okay. saying? Socialism is uh the means of production being owned by the people. That's that's essentially, you know, where socialism is. And people believe that that's going to deliver us to a more fair society because if people own the means of production, then okay. it's democratic or like, you know, we don't okay. have we won't have as Here. much greed. We'll all be sharing Maybe the profits. Maybe that was a horrible question. No, let no, me, not a horrible question. I'm just picking it apart because just, it's hard to answer. I go ahead try it again. How many how many people in this country percentage-wise is a ballpark? Mm-hmm. Obviously speculative have an, uh, a very unfavorable view of capitalism, and they wouldn't be able to objectively... You couldn't be swayed either way. Well, from, I've read some things that point out that, you know, if you look at, like, millennials, a lot of them will say that they're kind of against capitalism or they're more for socialism, but their actions show, or other questions that aren't directly related to capitalism, show that they actually they, that they like free enterprise and they like the right. products of that are you know come with it. You know, it's it's like that funny right. thing about the person tweeting about anti-capitalist sentiment from their iPhone. You know, it's oxymoronic. Okay, right, right. You know, you can't how are you going to take part in the system? It's like to some extent, there's things that we can't help. We have to take part in. You know what I mean? Right. But you don't need that iPhone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're right. like, you don't need that car. Do you even need a car at all? Anyway, but I think that the percentage of people who are just hardcore anti-capitalist, right? I'm not sure, man. Because it's you know what? I think the truth is, the truth. If you peel back all the BS, and, you think it's um, much lower than what it seems? No, I think it's probably higher because you're asking about our whole country. I think there's plenty of successful capitalists. Uh-huh. Um, you know, on the high extreme, I could point to George Soros, who actually wants socialism. Because the truth is, through socialism, you get corporate fascism. And the people who are already on top, they're going to use the government power to stay on top. That's true. So you you think that a capitalist is wants capitalism? Too. You think the capitalist wants free market enterprise for everybody? No, not no. all of them. Some not of them if they already got it. Yeah, they yeah. and that's where this is like it's a cognitive dissonance, or people just don't realize that if you increase the power of government, that's just a bigger gun for the criminal to grab to take control. Right. If that makes sense, but you get the system to work for your yeah. your enterprise. So you've got the poor people who are against capitalism and you've got the rich people who are against capitalism and then obviously you've got the people in politics who are all pretty well off for the most part and they'll just say anything to get elected. I mean, I think a lot of them are pretty much they're anti-capitalist because the well, anti-capitalist is big government. 
I mean, if you break right, it down. Right. So, and they're part of the they government. It's more. a self-serving bureaucracy. Right. You know, uh, you know, as soon as a politician, no matter where you are, as soon as a politician gets elected, they got to worry about getting reelected. So what do you think? Number, percentage, story, percentage. I couldn't tell you, man. I'm going to say at least Out 40%. Of, at least 40. I'm going to say at least 40. Man. I would put a cap on it at 60. A cap at 60, 40 to 60. Well, that's a spread, man. Well, that's bad either way. And yeah. I used to be naive. I used to think that, you know, once it hit the majority, like over 50%, that we'd be in big trouble. But then I realized that even a small amount can can be a big problem. But you know why I, I have hope? Because I think that so many of the people that would get on board with these, these bad ideas, they just don't really actually understand what the ideas are. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so yeah. that's the element where I do think education can help. I know I was just saying that you really can't change someone's mind because even if you give them all the facts, they're going to believe what they believe based on temperament. But at the same time, I feel like these ideas are disseminated throughout the country in such a way that people believe in something that they do not understand and if we can get them to understand in the truest sense what we have what history has shown us you know what we're actually dealing with right now if they had the real facts then they'd question what they've been spoon-fed you know what i mean so it's like if you if you swallow an idea because your teacher or all your teachers told you that that's that was right that that was good you know, it, you know, it's an insult to anyone's intelligence to expect them to just believe anything hmm. without doing research themselves. You know, I would say like, a, you know, any good teacher won't tell you what they believe. You know what I mean? Or they will tell you what they believe, but you got to counter that with a robust encouragement for an individual to go out and do research on their own, Right. which is dangerous to institutions that want group think because that just creates a dissenter every time you know um right you know i think ideally you wouldn't have any group think i mean you would to the extent like it's good to have group think in the sense that we all believe racism's bad right yeah we want to keep that group think but we don't want a group think that turns people off from researching for themselves the best way to address societal issues such as climate change or so income inequality or complex issues you're you're hopeful i mean i gotta be hopeful because if i'm not hopeful i'd just be i don't know what right. i'd be doing yeah i understand we wouldn't be having this conversation right now i mean i think at the end of the day even if things went bad and our economic you know ron ron paul brought this up he said that even when economic systems collapse that's like the best opportunity for reform mm-hmm. and so you shouldn't be I guess he kind of was subliminally saying you shouldn't look at it as a it's like a silver lining well it's proof and that's that something's wrong back in 2008 when we had the subprime mortgage crisis it was not right to bail out the banks yeah so and that's an, you know people be like oh, we build out the banks that's capitalism it's like no that that was the government yeah. bailing out the banks now right. it would have been awful for things to collapse like they should have like if we did not if we did not bail out the banks and things had to correct themselves that would have been difficult but we would have been correcting something right it's like if you've got cancer in your arm and you got to cut off your arm to save the rest of you yeah it really sucks that you lost an arm but you saved the you saved the rest of you instead of kicking the can down the road and hoping it won't be worse i think it's going to collapse i've told you this before i think it's going to collapse at the end of this year at the end of 2019, or at the end of next year. All right, and Peter I, Schiff. <laughs> oh, is that what he said too? Oh, I mean, he's always been saying it could. He's he's always been saying like it could. Yo, know, he was right about 2008. Yeah. So he and it doesn't matter how long you've been saying it. It's because not a question of if. It's I'm a fan when. of Peter Schiff. I'm not talking crap about him, but I think it's funny. Like he's you know, because he's people make fun of him for being the doomsday well, predictor. Ron, Ron Paul did it too. Right? Yeah, Ron Paul did it too. I mean, the truth is. What they're what they're doing is they're looking at the math and they're looking right. at the reality yeah. um, through an objective lens and saying, "Yeah, this is, this isn't going to work. This is yeah. a house of cards," and they're right. And I don't need to tell you that a house of cards is going to fall down eventually. Right. Like we all know that, so it's just That's common my prediction. sense. I just wanted to get on. I record. mean, we don't we don't know when you want to predict on record. So end of twenty nineteen, <laughs> definitely end of twenty twenty. Yeah, you I'm don't... gonna say between the not. I'm not saying in between, 
but I'm saying it's going to be at the end of this year, oh, like fourth yeah. quarter or the end of next year. Because by the end of the year, that's when people will look back at the year and realize it was not- how much we didn't improve. Right. And then they'll start freaking out. Right. I don't think, yeah, I think it'll happen at the end of the year. We're way overdue. Yeah, we are overdue. That's true. I just, to me, it's not clear how far we can kick the can down the road. It's just clear that it's bad. And it's clear that the inevitable yeah. will come. I mean, you know what? It's I had to learn this the hard way when I was like younger. But you know, you 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 do the bad thing, and you don't get caught, right? You do something bad, and you right. don't get caught. Let's say you drive drunk, you don't get caught. You're not even that drunk. Like honestly, like okay. you you know your limits. You're driving okay, but you're definitely over the legal limit. If you blew, you'd go to jail, right? You do it one night, you make it home safe. You go back to the bar again. You know, a week later, drive drunk again, you get home safe. You keep doing that over and over you think again. You can get away with it. Yeah, the more you do it, the more it kind of seems like normal. It seems like, oh, well, right. I'll never get caught because I haven't got caught yet until the day you do. It's like, right. that's how karma works Man. in the real world. Like, Have you seen, you just get, you have get you seen a list of like the, the, the bust, the economic collapses since the Fed? Since like this long, it's like dozens of... No, I never looked at oh, that. Oh yeah, it's like a laundry list, man. <laughs> it's pretty sad. Well, it might be a good spot for us to wrap it up for this yeah, this episode. About an hour in. Yeah. Well, you've you just heard episode one of the Road to Nerfdom. I hope you enjoyed. What do you think, Chris? Should we keep going with this? Should we do an episode two? Yeah, we should. All right. Okay. Well, till next time. Thanks, folks. <laughs>